Good morning, church. Happy Sunday. What a great celebration last night. Bev and I were on our way home and just talking about the relaxed, wonderful, celebrative atmosphere that we had together. It was just a, a wonderful, wonderful time. Can I tell you, you have one of the premier pastors in the Assemblies of God, and especially in the state of New York. One of my favorites, and I know I probably shouldn't have favorites in this position, but don't tell anybody outside of uh, Grace Assembly, please. I deeply love Doug and Cindy. I am so grateful that they are here. It is, uh, it is God's time. It is God's time, and I'm very excited about what he has in store for this great church. I'm grateful that we can be a, a network family. We are not uh, 350 isolated faith communities scattered around the state. We're one family. Uh, identifying in, in communities and cultures across the state of New York, Long Island, New York City, up to the northern borders of Canada and out to the, the reaches of Lake Erie. We're a diverse group. We're uh, an ethnically and age-diverse group that we can touch and change a culture in this great state. You're not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. God has an incredible plan for you individually and corporately. And uh, I want to challenge you uh, this morning just to be prepared for the amazing things that God has in store for this church. We just uh, passed Christmas, and I know there's great anticipation when young people, grand, our grandchildren now, are looking, at, looking forward to Christmas. They're looking forward to the gifts and what's going to be under the tree and what's there. I can remember our children uh, when they were younger. They would try to search out the gifts that we had gotten, and we would have to hide them. Um, I didn't tell this to the first, first crew. We, we told our kids they were so intent on finding out what the gifts were, so anxious to know that we hid them, and they would find them and, and peel away the wrappers and see what was there. So one year we said, all you're getting this year are Chia Pets. <laughs> you know what Chia Pets are, right? So under our Christmas tree for the weeks before Christmas, there were three boxes and uh, the kids were looking for their gifts. They searched our house, then they searched their grandparents' houses who lived in the area, both of them. <laughs> Couldn't find anything. So Christmas morning, we had the video camera going, and we read the Christmas story, and we brought out the three boxes, and we gave it to the kids, and they opened them up, and Joel can verify that this is true. Uh, and they had their Chia Pets. And uh, I don't remember which one of them said, okay, where's the loot? <laughs> I told them I needed something out of their car, and uh, they were very frustrated. They said, no, we want our gifts. Well, we had put all of their Christmas gifts in the back of their uh, Chevy Citation that they had been driving to school because we knew they never cleaned the car, so it was safe. <laughs> they would never find them. Uh, there was great anticipation for what was going to be coming. We have great anticipation. There's been great anticipation for this weekend. You've been talking about it for a number of years, the 100th anniversary of this church, and that's a significant milestone, really is. Bev and I have had the opportunity of being with two other churches in our network and then our home church in Ohio as they celebrated their 100th anniversary. 
It's a wonderful opportunity to look back at the faithfulness of God and to see a timeline of God's revelation and divine provision into a congregation. But I want you to know that it's not about the past. It's about what God's done in the past to prepare you for where you're going to go next. And he has prepared you for amazing. The children of Israel had uh, perhaps that same kind of anticipation of something great. They had wandered the wilderness for 40 years with the promise that one day they would get into the promised land. And uh, as we look to the first chapter of the book of Joshua, we can see uh, as they're preparing to go into the land of promise. God was preparing them for something that was yet to come. And even as we have had anticipation for this 100th anniversary weekend and the celebration that we had last night and today, uh, God has much more in store for this congregation than, uh, than you've experienced yet. Let me pray for you before we go into the word. Lord, this morning, I thank you for the plans that you have for us as a people. I thank you for your divine enablement and provision in the past. But I thank you for what lies ahead. I pray, Lord, this day that you would just encourage our hearts and that you would give us some benchmarks that we can look at our own lives and the life of this body of believers. And we can use it, Lord, to chart a course for the future. We thank you. We give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. It's important, really crucial for us, if we're going to embark on any kind of spiritual endeavor, that we have a word from God. There was a message that came to, uh, to Joshua. Joshua had a clear message from God. He was called by God, and can I say all of you are here, not by accident, but you're here because God has put a call on your life. Now, maybe not a call to pastor this church. That's gone to one person. But he has a call to serve upon your life, a call to be his emissary to a lost and dying world. Joshua's call was not determined by the circumstances at hand, but on the consistency of the Creator. It wasn't determined by the size of the enemy, but the sovereignty of his God, and not the enormity of the task, but the anointing of the master, and I would say that it would be the same for every one of us here today. God's touch, God's provision can take you through any task or challenge that lies ahead. Joshua chapter 1, I'm reading from the message. In the same way I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I won't give up on you. I won't leave you. Strength, courage, you're going to lead this people to inherit the land that I promised to give to their ancestors. Give it everything you have, heart and soul. Make sure you carry out the revelation that Moses commanded you, every bit of it. Don't get off track, either to the left or to the right, so as to make sure you get where you're going. And don't for a minute let this book of the Revelation out, be out of your mind. Ponder and meditate on it, day and night, making sure you practice everything written in it. Then you'll get where you're going. Then you'll succeed. Haven't I commanded you strength, courage? Don't be timid. Don't get discouraged. God, your God, is with you every step you take. It was true in the days of Joshua, and it is true in this day as well. As I said, just as God called Joshua, God has put a call on your life, 
calls and promises of God are consistent throughout church history. And that is uh, found in Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called those to him that he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Can I tell you this morning that God called you because he wanted you? You are not here by accident. It is not a fluke that you are serving the Lord. It is not an accident that you are here at Grace Assembly on this Sunday morning in January. You're here because God called you. And he called you in the same way that he called the disciples because he wanted you. It's nice to be wanted, isn't it? It's really tough when you're in high school and they're picking teams and they're getting down to the last few and you're standing there all by yourself. And you're, you say, nobody wants me. God wants you. He called you by name. He knows who you are and he knows his plans for you and those are good, good plans. Can I tell you though, he called you first to be with him. He called you to be before he called you to do. Can I say that again? He called you to be before he called you to do. He called you to be with him, to spend time in his presence, to fellowship with him, to be nurtured by him before he called you to go out and do. He called you to a relationship, not a career. He didn't call you to a dogma or a creed. He called you into an intimate family relationship with the creator God, which is pretty impressive stuff. If we get deterred and we begin to do the stuff that we have to do without spending time to his, in his presence, we've flipped the equation. And we're doing it all in our own strength and enabling. If we spend time in his presence as he has called us, then we become partners with him in ministry and he enables us to accomplish the impossible. So if I'm left to do what I can accomplish or if I can have God's miraculous in my life, I think I'd rather take God's miraculous than my humdrum everyday stuff. He wants you. He wants you to be with him. And there's a, a word of hope and encouragement that we get. That word of encouragement is one that uh, Jeremiah talked about as well in 29.11, that God has plans for us. The beauty of, the, of God's plans is that those plans are never to stay the same. You don't have to plan to stay the same. I don't think any of you have ever sat down for New Year's resolutions and said, let's see, what are my plans? I'm not going to change. <laughs> we all want to change. We all want to develop. The fact that God has plans for us means that he doesn't want you and me to be the same tomorrow as we are today. He wants to take us places that we've not been before so that he can reveal himself to us in ways that he has never had opportunity to reveal himself before. And so I have a word for you, Grace Assembly, this morning. God has called you to be with him first before you do anything else. Secondly, he has called you to do the will of the master. He has called you to do his work. Not your work, not your will, but his will. And he's called you to succeed at what you do. He's not going to dangle a carrot out in front of you and say, oops, I'm sorry, 
That was uh, just a test. He has called you to succeed at what you do. If you and I do it his way, in his time, under his leading. I could use an amen, I think. Now, once we've had a word from the Lord, what do we do with it? Well, God has a mission. He has a divine purpose for us. When people call out for help, God sends a person. When people are calling for help, God will send somebody. When Grace Assembly was looking a few years ago for a lead pastor, God answered. And he sent this Dick Clark young looking guy (laughs) who never ages to be the lead pastor of this congregation. Church called out and God sent. And there are people in your neighborhood, in your places of employment, who are calling out to God. They might not even know they're asking God, but they're looking for help and direction. They're looking for meaning in life. And God's going to answer their prayers by sending you. God's going to provide a person. The children of Israel were looking for leadership, and God sent Joshua. God told him that he would grant him the respect of the people. You can see it where he said, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Wouldn't it be great if God would say that to all of us? I'm going to exalt you in the eyes of everybody around you. You know why he doesn't do that? Probably almost all of us, we couldn't handle it. It would go straight to our head and we'd self-destruct. What's interesting about Joshua is that God spoke that to him, and there is no record in Scripture anywhere that he repeated that to the people of Israel. He didn't flaunt it to them. He didn't say, hey, you've got to respect me because God said so. He just went ahead and did what God called him to do. I think it's a great lesson for all of us. We can be kind of merry in Luke chapter 2, taking those things that God speaks to us and pondering them in our heart and holding on to it and just letting God lay it all out as we do what he asks us to do. Uh, I've heard it said that you don't need to say everything that you know. That's probably true, because then people wind up knowing what, how much we don't know. All too often, worldly acclaim brings a worldly spirit and pride. But in the life of the believer, the Christ-like spirit always wears greatness and honor with great humility. It is not about us individually or even corporately. All of the great things that God wants to do, there is a key in there God wants to do. The fact that he uses us is simply our privilege. It is our honor, but it's not our credit. If God has to work through inflated egos and... uh, selfish desires, it's going to derail the work of the kingdom that he wants to do. So I would tell you, church, God has plans for you. <coughs> you you've heard it. Over the next four years, three years, 
Whatever those plans are, don't mess it up. I'm serious, don't mess it up. Don't let selfish desire, overinflated egos, or personal agendas derail what God wants to do in this congregation. I need an amen on that one too. So we honor him by walking in humility and allowing our own spirits to understand it's not about us, it's about what he wants to do through us. Now, when God sends a person, he just doesn't send them out without sufficient supply. There is power that he provides, and that power is found in the word of God. Verse 9, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you're going to know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites, every other ite that is out there. I'm going to take care of you is what he's saying. But the key was, hear the word of the Lord. God's word is going to be the strength that is going to sustain us when we're doing the work of the kingdom that he has called us to do. We're not going to be able to do it on our own resource or strength or our own determination. It's going to come when God's word has been infused in our hearts. The Ark of the Covenant is seen here. The Ark of the Covenant was going before the children of Israel. And as it went before him, it was not only the symbol of God's presence, visible presence in their midst, but it contained the tablets of stone. It contained the word of God, the Ten Commandments. It was the word of God that was leading them and empowering them to do the work that God had called them to do. So there's a mission, there's a person, there's a power, but there's also a provision. Can I tell you that there is always a Jordan between you and the answer that God has for you or the opportunity God has? There is usually something that will be a test along the way as to whether you're going to continue or not. Whether you're going to persevere or if you're going to say, you know what, evidently I'm not meant to, to experience this. There's a message that I've shared and it was just written up in the... Uh, Influence Magazine, God's Waiting Room. Sometimes we need to wait until that time that God has provided for us. But you can see the provision here that in uh, the book of Joshua, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim, went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you're to move out from the position, your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. It's interesting here that they're told to wait three days. They're sitting in their camps three days. It was 40 years before that the spies went into the land for three days. So it's kind of like uh, God tweaking them a little bit, if you will. Hey, you blew it three days the last time around. Let's get it right this time. So he's, he's given them some time to think and to, to meditate on what has happened and what has transpired. The crossing of the Jordan takes three chapters here in the book of Joshua, chapter 3, 4, and 5. 
but it's one story. They're told that in three days they're going to enter the promised land. There may be times that God will have you wait for his timing, and we have to be obedient and not anxious to jump the gun. There are other times that God may say, it's time, move now. And we cannot delay. Obedience is going to be crucial if we're going to be able to accomplish what God wants to do in our lives. We may not be able to see or understand. It may not make any sense to us at all. But we need to uh, basically do the Nike slogan. What is it? Oh, you are advertising junkies, aren't you? (laughs) Just do it. Just do it. Do what God calls you to do. Now, there is a message and there is a mission, but there is a motive also that God has. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, the motive is this. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord's going to do amazing, amazing things among you. God's logic and condition on all of his promises throughout the message and mission and ultimately his miracle was his motive that he would have a consecrated people. Literally, he is saying, prepare yourselves to be in the presence of the Holy One. Get your act together. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, I cannot by direct moral effort give myself new motives. After the first few steps in the Christian life, we realize that everything which really needs to be done in our souls can only be done through God. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind and reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. This consecration of the nation of Israel was more than just a simple prayer. It was not just, uh, okay, God, I'm consecrated and heading off. It took some time. And uh, you have a season of prayer that's going to be coming up starting a week from today. Becomes an opportunity for us to search our own hearts and motives, to make sure that things are right within us, to lay aside the things that the weights that so easily beset us, is what Scripture calls them. The things that stand in our way of God accomplishing his will and divine purpose. This consecration was a a real self-intimate self-examination that individuals and families and the nation needed to do in order to prepare themselves to be at the place that God wanted them to be. You and I have, uh, probably all of us, heard it said that the problem with the living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. And that's us. That's why consecration is not a one-time-fits-all experience. It is a consistent part of who we are. Daily searching our own hearts, daily searching our own motives, I have a a dear friend who was with the Lord, Dr. Richard Dobbins, who said his daily routine was when he went to bed every night was to confess his sins. He was the assistant superintendent in New York, or in Ohio, a brilliant uh, psychologist and counselor. But he said in all of his intimate walk with the Lord, he realized that every day there were things that he failed at. And he sought God for forgiveness. And I thought, what a wonderful example of what real consecration is. It's a recognition that we don't deserve anything that God has given us.
So that continuous process is a searching body, soul, and spirit of who we are. It's a recognition that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Children of Israel, their lives had to be right. Ours need to be right as well. So we pray the prayer of David in Psalm 139. Search my heart, O God. Know me, test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Dedication, consecration. We dedicate our kids to the Lord, don't we? Don't we? We, we do that at Grace. One of the challenges, and uh, I threw this in in the first service. <coughs> Nobody stoned me, so I'm going to say it in the second service. One of the challenges with us dedicating our children is we take them back off the altar as they age. We say to the Lord, I have plans for my kids. I know what I want my child to grow up to be. And we chart their course without considering the will and calling of the individual to whom we've dedicated their lives. If you've dedicated the life of your young person to Jesus Christ, don't manipulate their life outside of the will of God. Let God work in their lives. If God wants to put a call onto their life to be a missionary, it doesn't matter if it's tough or dangerous. It is the best place for them to be. If God calls them to be a lawyer, it doesn't matter if you hate lawyers. It's the best place for them to be. If God has called them to be a pastor, don't say, wow, uh, I don't want him to be a poor pastor. Poor dollar-wise, not... <coughs> Don't take them back. Consecration and commitment covers every aspect of our lives. It covers our kids. It covers us. It covers God's purpose for us. It covers everything that God puts into our physical resource. Consecration is turning it all over to him. The period of consecration was to be a time that set a standard for what would always be a life that was prepared to be in the presence of the Holy One. So that there wouldn't have to be a, a, a long period of time set apart. You've got to get ready. We would always be ready for what God had in store. Unfortunately, in our day, we want the miraculous before we want the consecration. We want the instant gratification. We want the demonstration before the desperation in prayer. We want the blessing before the bending of our knee. We want to apply the principles that worked elsewhere without paying the price that preceded the outpouring in those places. We want to snap our fingers and have it here today. Consecration. Get ready, Jim, on this one. Consecration is a strategic reorientation of our hearts. If you don't remember anything else that I say today, remember that. Consecration is a strategic reorientation of our hearts. It is changing the way we think, and it is changing our focus. It is changing our benchmarks. So no longer is it my will, but it's his. No longer is it my plan, it's his plan. No longer is it my way, but it's his way. Allowing the Lord to have predominance in our lives. It is a strategic reorientation of our heart, taking our focus off of the gold and the glory 
and putting us squarely on the giver of life himself. It's finding our heart's true home, and it is remembering it is not all about us. It's about us doing his will and his way. We do our spring cleaning. We clean the house of our heart, and we prepare it for all that God has for us. Consecration comes before amazing. If God is going to do amazing things, we have to have consecrated hearts. And I I think it's so appropriate that as you enter into a new season and a new history for Grace Assembly of God, that you close out your 100 years and then you begin with a season of prayer and seeking God. There was a message, there's a mission, there's a motive, but then there was a miracle as well. The miracle took place as people followed consecrated leaders. They'd never been that way before. They'd been around Sinai enough in those 40 years. They, they probably had named some of those rocks as they went by. They knew where they were. They had been around that mountain multitudes of times, and they knew where they had buried their family because those who came out and were disobedient initially in going into the promised land were buried around Sinai. They almost all died off before they got to the river. In that 40 years, there was a recognition that uh, there's a price for obedience and there's a price for disobedience. I don't want to pay the price for disobedience. I'm a coward. (laughs) I, I would rather have the blessing of the Lord. Amen? How about you? They had been around Sinai. You know, some of you, you and I probably have our own Sinais. There are things that we have had to deal with over and over and over again. It's time to put those things at the foot of the cross and to be able to move ahead and to be able to trust the Lord for something new. We're not going to be able to find the way unless we consecrate ourselves, our families, our church. What's interesting here in the crossing of the Jordan the miracle, aside from the fact that it perfectly parallels that which took place at the Red Sea at the time of the Exodus under uh, Moses, is the prominence of the Ark of the Covenant here. The Ark of the Covenant is mentioned nine times in chapter 3, seven times in chapter 4, and then four more times by use of pronouns. Why is it important? Ark of the Covenant represented the very visible presence of God. It meant the Lord was the one who was going to lead them into the miracle. It wasn't Joshua's miracle. It wasn't the uh, leaders of the 12 tribes' miracle. It was God's miracle. Parallel. The vision and plan and miracle that God has for Grace Assembly of God is not Doug DeMent's miracle. It's not the miracle and vision for of the church elders and church council. It's God's plan for this church. It's God's design for this body of believers for this season. And it is absolutely crucial that we allow God to work his miracles in our midst. Everybody who's willing to receive God's miracle can say amen. Amen. The visible symbol of God's presence was leading them, and it was a reminder to the children of Israel And it is a reminder to us that in every spiritual endeavor that we undertake, 
The Lord needs to be our leader. The God of conquest is the God of deliverance. He is our banner who will lead us in the right direction. Our enemies will be amazed as well. Those dwelling in the uh, promised land probably saw the children of Israel over across a, a rain spring swollen river. Figured they had at least a few weeks, maybe a few months before the river receded so that the children of Israel could cross over. You know, it would be uh, much shallower during a dry season. But they didn't take God into account. God's word to them, to the nations in the promised land that would be defeated, his word was, surprise, he rolled back the waters. But the second part of the miracle, it's a two-part miracle. The first part is that the waters parted, like the, the Red Sea. But then that they walked through, not in knee-deep mud. Some of you have stood in the Jordan, and you know you can get muddy. They walked through on dry ground. The whole nation of Israel crossed over on dry ground to receive the promise that God had given them. Grace Assembly, the plans that God has for you are not going to be half-baked. He's not going to take you halfway and let you slug it out on your own. He's going to take you through to fulfill what he wants to do in your midst so that you and I can stand and say, this was God. God worked the miracle and God receives the glory and the honor. So the... Whatever the Jordan is in your way, whatever the challenge that will come that may seem to stand between you and the answer that God wants to give, God still parts the waters. God still will complete the miracle. There's a message, there's a mission, there's a motive, there's a miracle, but there's also a memorial. <coughs> Excuse me. Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the Ark of the Covenant your God into the middle of the Jordan and take a stone on your shoulder. So they, they gathered up these stones, they took them out, and they set them on the bank of the river at Gilgal. Verse 20 of chapter 4, And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future... When your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean, tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord, key word there, until you had crossed over. It sounds like as soon as the last person was out, it turned to mud and the river closed. Pretty neat. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord, your God. Earlier in that chapter, he says, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them. So why the stones? We need to remember what God has done in our past, and that's really what you have up here on the wall. When the children of Israel crossed over, they had to fight to get into the land. There would be battles. There were giants in the land. There were some real challenging times. They would be able to go back to Gilgal, and they would see the stones piled up, and they would be able to remember what it was that God had done and how God had miraculously provided for them in the past. 
That's the benefit of this timeline. That's the benefit of the things that you see in the hallway and downstairs. God's been faithful in the past to this church. He's worked miracles in the past. So it becomes an encouragement to us that the God of past miracles is the God of future miracles. Joshua also also said, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? It's very easy for kids to lose the anchor of their parents' faith. How How are they going to experience what mom and dad experienced? They need to know what God's done for your life. They need to hear your story. They know you as you are now. They don't know you as you were before you met Jesus. They don't know the miracles that God has performed in your life. They don't know the divine deliverances and healings and the way God has miraculously provided when your family had nothing. They need to hear those stories. When your children ask, what do the stones mean? What are the benchmarks of our family? Why are we here at Grace Assembly? What is it that God has done in our past? Tell them the stories. They need to know. They need to know why you are the way you are and why they are here. God is sovereignly blessed. When your children ask, tell them. Before they ask, tell them. When they're tired of listening, tell them. Tell them the stories. Tell them the history. And then finally, the nations of the earth. There are people who know that this church is here who are not believers, out on the street. They need to know that the God of this congregation can be their God. The God who works miracles for this congregation can work miracles for them. Those stones were a reminder to all of the nations around that God dried up the waters. He made a way where there was no way and gave them victory as they entered into the place that probably everybody around them said would never happen. So even if there be naysayers around you who say, you know what, it's not going to happen, you just kind of stand back and smile and say, just watch. We serve a mighty God. (coughs) Francis Schaeffer said regarding those stones, the stones were to other nations to be a reminder that this God is different. He is real. He exists. He's a living God. He's a God of real power who is imminent in the world. What it means in imminent is that he is intimately involved in every aspect of life and creation. We don't ever have to worry that God is caught off guard or by surprise with anything that comes our way. So, uh, as the worship team comes, congregation, grace, assembly of God, God has called you. He has a message for you. He has a word for you. He has direction for you, individually and corporately. Grace, assembly of God, God called you. He has a mission for you. It is a mission here in Onondaga County. It is a mission across the state of New York and the United States. And it's a mission around the world. God has a mission for you. 
Grace Assembly of God, God called you. And he has a motive in all of this. And that motive is that this would be a consecrated body of believers, sold out to Jesus, that said, Lord, wherever you want to lead us, we're going to go. We're we're not going to be the grumblers and complainers of the children of Israel coming out of the promised land. We are going to be a united body of believers. You remember the Tower of Babel? Why did the languages come? Why did God send the languages? He sent the languages to the Tower of Babel because he said, if they are of one heart and one language, they can accomplish anything. We're Pentecostals. God gives us confusing languages to make us one so that we can accomplish whatever God asks us to do if we are united. Are we united? Are are we united? Are we together on this? God has called you, Grace Assembly of God, because he has a miracle for you. He has something for you that's going to blow your mind. Individually, corporately, God loves to show himself great. And when he shows himself great, we stand back and on and say, wow, God, you are something special. And he is all of that and more. And God has called you, church. He has a memory maker for you. He has a memorial. Something in your life that he wants to do that you will be able to tell your story. The story of God's grace and redemption. The story of God's miracle working power. The story of what it means to live a consecrated life to Jesus. He has a memorial for you. And I'm excited to see what God does starting tomorrow, day one of year 101. Should Jesus tarry? I don't think he's going to hang around another 100 years before he comes. I think we've got a short leash. Short time. So I want to pray for you. Would you stand with me, please? God has prepared you and is preparing us for amazing. As you enter into your week of prayer next week, I would encourage you to pray those prayers of consecration, to pray those prayers of, God, what do you have in store for us? And to pray the prayers of unity, that you may be one, just as Father's Spirit and Son are one. That was Jesus' prayer for us. I want to be an answer to Jesus' prayers. Amen? I didn't do this in the first service. I'd like you to join hands if you're comfortable doing that with somebody nearby. When when we're united, we're stronger. We're better together, church. The people beside you, in front of you, behind you, they're family. You may have different skin tone. You may have been born in different areas. You may have been born in different countries. It doesn't matter. We're joined together by the blood of Jesus that flows through our lives. So, Lord Jesus, as we've joined hands and hearts this day, we lift ourselves and our brothers and sisters beside us up to you. 
And God, we begin to reconsecrate ourselves to say to you, Lord, make of us a body of believers that are prepared for the future, prepared for the amazing things that you want to do. Keep us from discouragement. Those things that we have allowed to become our Sinai that have sidetracked us in the wilderness. Lord, we're leaving those things behind so that we can enter into your promise. Lord, I pray for those who need to know you as Savior that they would this day be able to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. You have prepared me for amazing things even though I may never have believed it. And so God, in our lives, work your miracles. Give us a word. Give us clear direction. Let us know that we're on mission, that you've got a motive, Lord, to reveal in us your presence. You've called us to be with you so that you can work miraculously through us. Lord, I give you thanks for a hundred years of history at Grace Assembly of God, but I thank you even more for what you have in store for us in the days to come. We give you thanks for it all in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen.